This is Infidel One. Offending Coyote Down. Offending Coyote Down. Roger that. Welcome to Trappin' Radio. We're proud, organic, free-range, wild fur farmers of North America. Let me tell you a little story about how I was raised. Every day work, every day pray. God, family, friends, yeah, everybody sins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. Help folks in need, don't fall for greed. A jealous man is weak, so think before you speak. If you love them, let them know. If you hate, let it go. Fast can be fun, but sometimes you need slow. God is all good, the devil is so real. So listen up, y'all, because this is how I feel. I won't back up, I don't back down I've been raised up to stand my ground Take my job, but not my guns Tax my check till I ain't got none Except for the good Lord of above I answer to no one Now let's cover our sponsors. They do a lot to help support Trapping Radio. So I'm asking you guys out there and gals, to help support our sponsors as they keep trapping radio on the air. First sponsors, Oki Cable and Trap Supply. Jeb's the owner of this. He's out of Oklahoma, super guy. You'll not meet anybody nicer. It's somebody you're gonna wanna deal with. You can reach him at OKTrapSupply.com. You can give Jeb a call at 918-429-4648. Not only does he do trap supply guys, he's a fur buyer, so if you're around the Oklahoma or surrounding states, give him a call with your fur. When you need stuff, give him a call and he'll get it out to you as soon as he can. Our second sponsor is F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. Guys, if you're into trapping fur, hunting fur, chasing fur with dogs, you're not gonna be able to think of hardly anything that you can't get from F&T. You can reach them at fntpost.com. You can also give them a call at 989-727-8727. Whatever you want, F&T's got it. Blue Ridge Outdoor Supplies. Scott Payne is the owner of this business. He's in Elton, Virginia. He also has a lure line, Mountain Rebel Lures and Baits. He's got a great coyote trapping video. He's also a fur buyer in Virginia. Anything that you're looking for and your trapping needs, give Scott a call and he'll get it right out to you. Wildlife Control Supplies, proven solutions for wildlife control, delivering value, expertise, and products to the wildlife individual. If you're in the ADC business, control business, even fur trapping, you need to look at these guys' website. Top-notch company, have everything you would want, even the odd stuff that ADC guys are looking for. You can reach them at wildlifecontrolsupplies.com. You can give them a call at 877-684-7262. International number is 860-844-0101. If you're a wildlife control professional, you need to have wildlife control supplies as one of your favorites on your computer or your phone because when you come across something that you need specialized equipment, Alan will get it right out to you. Now let's go trapping. See, I'm a flag flying, Bible toting son of a gun. Yeah, I'm hell on the heart. 
one just a rebel on the run scared don't know it fear don't feel it the truth is the light sometimes you gotta fight good beats bad right beats wrong i'm a ballroom preacher and this is my song i'm climbing for the top representing for the country i'm the people's champ right out to dear camp shotgun toter republican voter hank jr supporter let's protect our border to hell with anyone who don't believe in the usa because this is what i say i won't back up i don't back down i've been raised up to stand my ground take my job but not my Hello everyone, this is Clint Locklear for Trapping Across America. I've got an interview that I have been working on today for probably three years. And uh, not that the gentleman that interviewed is hard to deal with, it's just busyness. And I've tried to do it at conventions and I finally pulled it off this year and I wanted to always interview Gerald Smith about his uh, big mink catch, over 700 mink in a year and just get his thoughts on production style trapping and different things like that and uh very good i mean we're sitting out in the middle of a casino parking lot talking trapping now how cool is that uh, i want to remind everybody that i will be in little valley new york uh next weekend and i've got if you look a couple of posts back on on trapping radio you'll see the demo list but there's been some new ones added and i thought i'd tell everybody about it Friday night I will be giving one on Fox, uh, Jeff will be giving two on Coon, Norm Blackwell will be giving one on Coyotes, uh, Norm Blackwell is one of the guys from Trapping TV, um, and then they talked uh, Darren Freebro in the, at 12 o'clock on Bobcat and Ron Ham on Fox. So the demo list is stacked at Little Valley. If you're somewhere around there, northern Ohio, all those different places, Pennsylvania, um, and even in New York, if you're somewhere around there, guys, you need to come out there. This is being set up to be a tremendous show this year, and if you miss out, you're going to be sorry. That's next weekend, a Little Valley, New York. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Now, I want to say, <coughs> excuse me, say something about my demo that I'm going to be giving up there. Guys, I've never done a demo like this. Uh, there's been a lot of people that wants me to video record it. I may video record some of it, but if you don't come to the convention, you're not going to get all of it. And I do want to warn people, this is about business and making a living trapping. It's going to be extremely straightforward. If you can only imagine what it would be like if you did something and your grandmother didn't like it, she takes her teeth out and starts talking to you without any PC whatsoever and that's what it's going to be. If you're going to bring small children, please be warned. One of the main topics I'm going to be talking about when it's making money is 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 something that I cannot come up with any other phrase for. So if you don't want to be explaining what one of these words is to a small child, do not bring them to the demo. It's not going to be a demo about how to catch something. It's going to be a demo on how you make money anyway, but it's going to be trapping mental masturbation. And I see a lot of it, and if you're going to try to make a living with it, you need to get out of the fantasy world of, of like that. So, and I'm going to be very open, and I'm not saying I'm not going to be a, a potty mouth or anything, but some of the words, when I get talking about some of this stuff, just to emphasize some points, it's probably not going to be super child-friendly. But if you're an adult, and you're looking at getting into this full-time, I'm going to be so open and honest, there's no way 
for me not to be just completely open and honest about this because I'm not going to be blowing smoke and giving a recruiting sales pitch about how everybody get full-time trapping. I'm going to lay it out there just the way it is. Now, before we get to Gerald tonight, I got a letter uh, from uh, C. Ritchie. Uh, he, he's a young man that, that wrote me that, we, that, I, that I talked to on the, the air. He's wanting to be a full-time trapper. And I just want to read some of this, and uh, and there again, th this is one of those things, guys, that uh, you want to know what Amer makes America great? It's kids like this. It has nothing to do with the scumbags and 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 uh, political perverts we have up in Washington D.C. Nothing. I mean, I don't even know why we even consider that even part of America anyway. But you want to know what makes America and made America great? Are kids like this? that's thinking ahead and planning and and has got a mission and he's going to figure out how to accomplish it so i want to read some of this and uh hello again it's c Ritchie from arkansas that's all i'm going to say about who it is i'm sending you this letter to kind of update you on me and my plan on the upcoming trapping season this summer has been tremendously busy for me i've been working hard all summer saving money to build myself a 12 by 16 first shed now keep in mind I don't even think this youngster's got a driver's license yet. So if he's willing to do the work to, to, to be a better trapper, maybe some other guys need to think about that. And it seems like I might up spending all my money on the, the shed and not the traps. Just joking. I'm still about two to three hundred from being comfortable enough to begin building it. I mean, just think, I mean, think how adult that is. He's not comfortable about it yet. <laughs> But I might go ahead and start in a couple of weeks. Trap Pad has been a, a, a bear for me all summer with my trapping new Coonhound. Uh, he's been building colony traps on a one and a half wire. I'm putting a little money aside for buying traps and also asking landowners for permission. Soon I'm going to begin building grounder cables and snares. I feel like the season is going to be a pretty good one for me due to my season preparation. Ding, ding, ding. Is everybody hearing this young man? He's planning to have a good season because he's planning. Kind of cool. Plan my trap line years to expand uh, by about two to four dozen traps and expand my land coverage. I have a lot of land to ask permission. be great for me. And it's one is a hayfield cattle pasture within two to four miles and a running creek through the middle of it. The sign includes coyotes, bobcats, coons, and possibly muskrats. That's not all the land I plan to ask about. Fur prices have went down a bit, but I don't care. I plan to focus on coons and coyotes, but I expect to try beaver and muskrat. My goal this year is to learn as much as I can and to work my butt off as I do it. I almost feel like I should like be playing the American Anthem in the background and dressed up as Patton as I read this because this is freaking awesome. This is what makes America the best country in the world and that's because of people just like this. And he has a few questions. And uh, for, for me being lazy and guys, if you've emailed me, I, I'm like 560 uh, this morning when I look 67 emails behind. I'm doing two, 20 to 40 a day, probably spending 5-10 minutes on each one. You do the math. I can only do so much. So I'm going to read this because there's several questions on here. 
do you see any major flaws and issues with my plan guy that is the way that you make money in trapping is you you get preseason you get your property you have a goal you have everything ready when season starts and when the bell goes off you're moving and grooving and going full tilt boogie all over your trap line getting as much steel in the ground to catch as much fur as possible man i think you're right on the right plan how do you go about uh, getting your permission for land trap well the way i've done it in the past because it's a little bit different than what i do in control work because that's more of a, a business type thing but if you look at your and really a fur trapper is a business it's a small business you provide a product to the fur market and a service to the landowner so if you think about it that way it, it kind of leads you down the right path the way i get permission is i want to look like the place that i'm going to because people trust their tribe you know if i'm closer to a city i'm going to dress more uh more cityish. if i'm in the country i'm going to be more countryish, but i'm not going to be uh you know brutally redneckish if you get my my meaning there because that that may turn some people off and i'm going to go up to them and i'm going to ask them i'm going to i'm going to look the land over from the road and i'm going to make a judgment call they have couch or they have beaver or they have both and normally the way i start the conversation is hi my name's this i live over there you know i i trap in the winter and i was wondering if you've seen any coyotes or seen any beaver and normally that that gets them into the conversation right off the bat and you know when you get them in the conversation and you're not trying to give this big fancy sales pitch or a, you know or something you've worked out you can kind of get the conversation going for them and once you get in that conversation they'll feel more comfortable and you can start asking questions but the biggest thing about asking permission is you want them to talk more than you and I know that's hard because everybody thinks whatever they're doing is more important than everybody else. But when you're talking to somebody else and you're trying to get something from them or get them to make a commitment of some time like you get in your property, you want them to talk. Ask about their acreage. You know, do they grow crops? Do they have uh, livestock on there? Dogs? How long have they been there? You know, do you enjoy the, the area? You just want to get them involved so you're hitting closer to something they're more comfortable with and more friendly with before you get into asking for permission and a lot of times if you go down that route you'll get permission before you ever have to ask but if you just walk up can i trap your land that doesn't work very well keep in mind you're a small business that's trying to get a customer that you that needs your service and in your service is not trapping your service is fixing a problem whether it be coyotes or beaver or coons getting in their barn or whatever it is and that's the way you go is lead them down the road of what you're going to do for them instead of what they can do for you okay next question he's asking about a kill pole and um i know it's your age you're probably all over the all over the internet and just for time, I'm going to explain what a kill pole is. It is a support system that is most of the time for coyotes and uh, bobcats and stuff made out of metal rebar, half inch for, for, for coon, cats, fox, beaver. For coyotes, it's five-eighths inch rod. The the smaller animals, like from, from cats down, are fine on four feet. In length, coyotes need to be about five feet. And what you're doing is you're welding 
a piece of number nine wire to make a horseshoe on the top of the pole. So if you if you just weld a spot weld of number nine wire up there, put a hammer handle in there and bend it over that hammer handle and spot weld it right where it meets the pole again, you'll have like a little horseshoe. And then pull your handle out and you'll wrap it around three or four times. If you go to Wolfer Nation, Wolfer Nation, um, our free trapping videos, even on YouTube, if you put in uh, Clint Locklear, Kill Pole, stuff like that into the search engine, you'll see several videos that show it to you. And trust me, a video is way more powerful than a picture. So if you do a little bit of research on your own, you won't have any trouble finding what a kill pole is. Because I've got it several times in several videos on, uh, on snaring. He asked if I've ever tried a Diablo dog-proof trap. I have not. I've looked at them. Um, not crazy about them, but you know what? It, and he says he likes them. So if you like them, go use them, man. You know, uh, everybody's got their own preferences of what they're looking for. I, I don't know of anybody that catches any amount of cane that really uses them. That makes me a little leery right there. But you know, I'm a Freedom Brand guy just because of the quality made in America. And they work when I go put them in the field so that that's what I use but if you want to use these give them a try they may work for you I don't know and he's got one more question uh, he's talking about writing it at uh, 12 at night to this to me should I pre-bait the land that I trap before trapping season now for beaver and stuff that's not gonna work for coon absolutely you can take a, if you go check out, and I don't know what section it is, but if you go look at Trapping TV on, on the Wolfer Nation channel, you will see Mike Kimball, he, he puts five-gallon buckets with these little nozzles on the end and a cap on top, and he fills them full of dog food, and he puts them out where he's going to go. Now, on a, on a piece of property, say it's, you know, 100 acres, Two or three of those things spread out over 100 acres, you will draw all those coon to you, absolutely. Now for coyotes and fox, uh, what I would do is next time, you know, your mom and or go to a restaurant and get some fryer grease, like bacon grease and fish and chicken, things like that, get as much of it as you can where you think you're going to put your traps at, dig a deep dirt hole, don't put a trap, put in two or three pints of this stuff, that oil, when it's warm, let it soak into the dirt. And the coyotes and fox will wear it out if they're in the area. Now, the cool thing about pre-baiting, if you, the, the hole's not getting hit by the time season comes around, there's no reason to put a trap there. But pre-baiting actually is very effective, even though it's not something we do in our modern times anymore. But it is very effective, and I would say go for it. What I wouldn't do, though, is go start putting out commercial lure, commercial baits, different things like that. Now, if you can go to a... a a slaughterhouse and get a bunch of uh, meat scraps and bones and deer legs and 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 fat and different things like that you could put those down the hole but a lot of times they'll go ransom for anything finds it and they're not that interested in it so the fryer grease is kind of what I do but mr. Richie you're on the right track brother you're, you're gonna you're, you're gonna make it I have no doubt in my mind because you already sound more mature than a lot of adults that I meet on a day-to-day -day basis. So you keep doing what you're doing and remember at your age, the biggest thing that you've got going for you is your age and spend that learning. Be self-educated. 
just like Benjamin Franklin was in the founding fathers of this country. You can learn everything you want to learn with, with the internet and videos and books and demos and stuff like that right now. Take that out and go do some critical thinking on your own line and self-educate yourself. And by the time you get to the age where you're thinking about going full-time or not, you'll be light years ahead of anybody else your age. And I just think that is super neat myself. Let's go ahead and get to the interview with Gerald because if you've ever thought about production mink trapping or, you know, kind of thinking that 100 mink a year is a big deal, wait till you hear this interview. Well, Gerald, um, I've been trying to get you to do one of these things for about two years now, and the schedule and just the shows, it's never really quite worked out, but I followed you to the casino, so we're out in the parking lot doing a, a radio show. So for anybody that don't know who you are, who are you? Oh, I'm just, I guess, another trapper and supply dealer for Minnesota. Uh, I don't trap quite as much as I used to, but uh, I've mostly been a water trapper, but we got a supply business, Schmidt Enterprises, and uh, we do that full-time, me and my wife, and uh, kids help out with it, so. How do you pronounce the town that you're in? Uh, it's an old German town. Uh, it's two words, New Ulm, N-E-W, then U-L-M. So, well, me and Cindy both had it wrong. Okay. So, <laughs> New Orleans, Minnesota. So that's like right in there about central Florida. I mean, the climate you're in up there where you're at, it's yeah. pretty warm and sunny. and Yeah, in the summer. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the winter, I mean, we get 20, 20, 30 below sometimes in the winter, just like any of the northern states. And um, Trapping-wise, I guess, unlike the south, I mean, we're limited not so much water trapping by the season as, as we are by the weather. You know, it's going to freeze up at a certain point. You just never know exactly when. If you grew up in Minnesota your whole life? Pretty much, yeah. I've lived there since I was about five years old. And did someone in your family trap? Not really. Uh, I had a great uncle that uh, gave me a couple traps, and my dad just hauled me out to the river, and I, I just set a couple. I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing. I wasn't much threat to the animals. Uh, <laughs> A lot of people think that, that, that good trappers, it, it's always come easy, but really, I don't think anything's farther from the truth. You know, well, well, how did you get from not being a threat to a threat? Did somebody mentor you, or well, what kind of happened? I, I kind of, I started trapping probably when I was about 14 years old, and, you know, I, I, I caught a few coon and, you know, a few muskrats and a couple mink and, and muskrat slides, and, and then I kind of discovered fur fish game and, and the trapper, and... There was a guy from West Center, Minnesota, Stan Cornert, that had an ad in for instructions. And uh, when I was 18 years old, I, I went and took instructions from him. And he really got me off on the right foot. Uh, just things that are, seem obvious, uh, you know, like setting two or four or six traps at a location. You know, showed me how to make a basic dirt hole set, how to make a, a basic pocket set. And just having someone show you how to do something, you know, and then... There wasn't much information out there at the time. I mm -hmm. mean, I didn't really have any books. I probably had Hawbaker's Trapping North American Fur Bears book. And the one where you're like putting mice and chickens in cages. Yeah, exactly. In the back of the yeah. yeah, I tried the, the, the notched log set, and I'm trying to chop a notch in the log underneath the water and getting that cold water splashed in my face and, <laughs> and thought there had to be a better way than that. So did you, just from taking that in, but isn't it amazing though, you don't know what you don't know until someone kind of points it out? And oh, that's exactly true. Yeah, and that's one lesson I've learned in life is, uh, I try to be humble, I guess, and 
the more you do learn and, and know, the more you realize how, how, how vast the expanse of knowledge is out there to learn. And all the really good trappers I've known are, are never happy with what they're doing. I mean, they're always striving to be better. No, and, and me and Johnny talked about that. We're taking instruction. He's like, about the time that you start actually kind of, sort of, figuring out your game, you're too old to do anything with it. And when you were younger, you're too stupid to actually pay attention. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's somewhat true. You know, a guy wishes to go, go back to when you're 20 years old with the knowledge that you have now. I mean, I'm, I'm 49, and uh, I'm not quite uh, washed up physically yet, but I'm not 20 years old anymore. That's true. So what? where in there, where did you go from trap into want to be in the supply business because I mean, you, you've got a really good i mean you're just not a small guy so i mean how did you do that well we i'd gotten a tax number just so i could buy supplies wholesale basically and started selling to a few friends and it just kind of got bigger and bigger i'd put an ad in a trapper and predator caller and it just uh kind of snowballed i had a job before i worked uh at ag, ag chemical company i actually got an accounting degree four-year degree in accounting and I worked there, and our busy season was in the spring. And uh, my boss would let me take time off in the fall, un unpaid time off, so I could pretty much trap as long as I wanted in the fall. That's cool. And uh, and that worked worked out pretty good. And then at some point, the business just got to be too much to do along with uh, my other job, and I just quit that job and, and did the business. And did, did your family and friends think you were nuts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I gave up. I had six weeks of paid vacation, and... About eight or nine paid holidays, and people did think I was nuts, and probably and, still do. Yeah, yeah, they still do, and it's like, well, I can always get another job. Mm-hmm. And uh, but since then, I guess we've always worked for ourselves. And my wife quit her job right after we had our first daughter, and she's, you know, just as much a part of the business as I am. She does all the uh, the internet stuff and the bookkeeping and all the paperwork, lays out the catalog, and and uh, helps quite a bit that way. Well, I always find it fascinating because as I, as I get to learn and, and know different dealers, everybody's kind of got their own little niche they fall into either by accident or just by... And you're kind of like the DVD guy. You know, you're the one with the full-page ad, the back of the magazines, with pretty much DVDs. Yeah, we do sell a lot of DVDs, and it just was kind of by accident that I fell into that, I, I guess. And uh, we kind of market the Thorpe DVDs through Alan Probst and... He had filmed all those, and uh, we just seemed seemed to be a good thing to get into. When we started with that, there weren't quite as many DVDs out now, and we just got our new catalog done, and I think we got over 260 different ones listed in there. <laughs> so there's definitely a lot of a lot of DVDs out there now. How in the world do you keep up with that many DVDs? Well, it gets to the point now where you, you kind of have to pick and choose what you're going to stock, and... Uh, I mean, just like anything else, probably 20% of our DVDs are, would be 80% of our DVD sales. There are some that we sell one or two a year only and should probably drop, but you can still get people wanting them once in a while. And, and it goes somewhat like on the, on the fur markets. You know, the Muskrat DVDs have been really, really good sellers, obviously, the last couple of years. And so if an animal gets particularly hot in price or something, you'll sell a lot of that mm -hmm. type, type uh, DVD. But you sell other, I mean, you sell the traps and the the shellfish oil, I'm sure, and, and lures and, and everything else. Yeah, we, we got a, a, a pretty full line of trapping supplies, uh, different traps, and like I said, lures and all the accessories. So. 
So before we get to your epic mega mink trapping, what what is how would someone get in touch with you if they were looking for DVDs or some of the stuff that you do? Oh, we got ads in most of the trapping periodicals, and we got a web page, uh, which is it's Schmidt Enterprises, uh, SchmidtEnt.com, S-C-H-M-I-T-T-E-N-T.com. I'll put that down in the show notes so they can, they can link on to it as they're sure. To you. Now you you're kind of from from somebody we're going to talk about an animal that I have not really targeted all that much. So my experience is like I'll I'll see uh talk to Jim Spencer and I'll get a wild hair at my butt then I'll go out and I'll catch 810 mink and I'm like that's good enough and I got to go make some money. Of course back when I was doing more of that they were worth like 8 bucks. Sure. And um but you took 600 mink, 800 mink it was the one year was seven hundred and sixty four. That was in. Uh, now, did you say that right? Seven hundred. Yeah, seven hundred and sixty four. And how long? That was uh, exceptionally mild fall. It was about seven weeks of trapping, I believe. We got probably you know three four weeks of extra open water than we would normally have in, on a typical year in Minnesota. What was your daily average on something like that? I think it averaged about uh, fifteen per day. That is so, crazy. And, uh, I mean, there's set days and, uh, you know, check days. So, I, I mean, I'd have days in the 40s. And so it, it all kind of averages out. And you've got a, a, a book and a DVD showing kind of what you were doing. Yeah, yeah, we got a book and a, a DVD. They've both been out for, for several years. Uh, in fact, uh, the DVD, it started out as a VHS, and, of course, now it's a DVD. So... Well, before we get to technical stuff, the more important thing, how were you mentally ready to go try? Did you, were you planning to catch that many or, I mean, how, how you, you got to be mentally tough to catch 700 of anything. Yeah, I mean, generally you just uh, always had the mindset you're going to trap as hard as you can until you get froze out and usually you might have three weeks or so on, on a normal year. So you just try to have all your equipment ready because you know it's you have to hit it hard while you have the, the right conditions to keep the numbers up because once you get froze out, uh, you can work as hard as you want, but you're just not going to catch as much as when you have the, the good open water conditions. So yeah, I, I, you know I had lots of traps and I had trapped this area for a number of years, so I, I mean I knew where I was going and uh, you know I knew where to go and and, and what to do basically. Well, the thing, the thing, because I've watched your DVD, it was a, it was a great DVD. The, the thing that mystified me, just as a trapper, is you were so heavy in the pocket. Where when I when you talk to other mink trappers, especially outside of Iowa and Minnesota, everybody gears towards blind sets, bottom edge sets, one uh, tens on the bank, and stuff like that. And you may have done some of that, but it looked like you were like pocket and everything yeah it was almost 100 percent pockets uh it seems like all the big mink guys in, in the midwest or at least in iowa minnesota use primarily pocket sets and it just seems like that's uh the best set to you know, maximize your catch but why and, do you think that's different everywhere else i mean why do you think that there's a different mindset everywhere else oh sometimes i think uh maybe more more down south people aren't quite under the gun as far as the weather and have more time uh, to, to make a catch. They aren't going to get froze out as quick. And there's always been this kind of mystique about mink, I think, where some guys wouldn't want to use bait and consider it as, as sporting. And I mean, I can blind set mink too, but 
it's just uh, quicker to trap them in a pocket and you're gonna get your muskrats and your raccoons and uh, there's some things with the weather I mean if the water comes up or if you get you know snowstorm and the grass folds over the banks you can find your pockets with your foot along the bank or if you got a bunch of blind sets out they're they're really hard to find if, I mean you've ran, ran blind sets and they're hard to find if you get uh, you know water coming up or something that makes sense so how did you were you setting pockets the way the guy gave you instruction or did you kind of figure that out over time or pretty much uh, I maybe changed it a little bit just uh, I basically dig a hole straight back in the bank and just kind of make a notch in the back where I shove my bait and then just wedge it in with a shelf. tile spade yeah basically a shelf and uh, I maybe changed a little bit over the years. Uh, at first, I'd try to dig the pocket really deep to. Uh, I, I'd, I'd have problems with the coon pulling the bait out, and I learned you could get by with a shallow pocket if you had that bait pushed in that wedge good, so they can't just flip it out. So if you're using a tile spade, like w w when I rode with Red that time, he's using that little bitty round shovel. Did you cut your tile spade down, or were you using? I just use a regular tile spade, pretty much the way they come from from a store. I mean, I. I'll sharpen it so it's sharp and cut roots and grass easy, but I, I don't cut them down, I guess. And that was your bait? Was Bullheads or bullheads or carp, you know, j just uh, cut up rough fish usually. Now, just for entertainment purposes, how much of that did you have to set back to catch that many mink? Oh, we'd, uh, for a while, there's some commercial fishermen that dressed all bullheads, and they basically gave us the pails of heads for a couple dollars a pail, and we'd buy you know, 15 to 20 pails of heads, and each head would have about 100, or each buck would have about 100 heads in. Uh, so a guy goes through a lot of bait. And uh, same thing with, with the carp. Uh, there was an old fur buyer down in Spirit Lake, Iowa. He just passed away this summer, Ed Cable, and he'd have cut-up carp you could buy. Like a 40-pound box would have, you know, probably 70 or 80 pieces of, of carp in. And he'd cut it up frozen with a bandsaw. Mm. And you could just just use that. So he wasn't doing the Bernie Barger freeze it and go wear fish for a month out in the yard. With no, the axe. no, <laughs> no. We we chopped up fish different years, but uh, yeah, you know the night before season, it's not the thing you want to be doing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, how how were you picking? Um, I've only been to Minnesota a few times, and I'm not sure how close I've ever been to you. There's a lot of water. Definitely a lot of water in Minnesota, and. What were you looking for as far as locations? I mean, how how does a mink think, or how do you think a mink thinks? Well, I mean, the, the mink pretty much they're on on any waterway in Minnesota. We got a lot of sloughs down in the southern part of the state, and a lot of drainage ditches and uh, small creeks and rivers, and they're pretty much in all those spots. Uh, certain spots are going to be better than others. You know, an inlet or outlet to a slough is really hard to beat as far as mink activity. But really, I kind of look almost at ease of access where you can pull up on the road and get down and make your sets quick and, and move on. So you, you want a spot that you can get, get down and check quick and then and, and move on to the next spot. Now, when, when you did this, uh, the same year, in the you introduced me to somebody one time that actually caught more than you that year. Yeah, that would be Tim Swatsky. He caught, I think it was 828 mink in, in basically the same time frame. And were you all in the same area? We trapped quite a quite an area but we crisscrossed at different times and 
That's so, a crazy amount of mink. And there were some other guys that caught probably four or five hundred that, that year also in, in, in southern Minnesota. And how many coon? I think that year I had about 560, 570 raccoons. And did you have rats there at that time? Yeah, there was probably two, 300 muskrats, 400, I don't even remember, but we had more rats then than we, we do now. So, so just running something that simple, I mean, you picked up, well, I'm too tired this late in the convention to add that up, but yeah. that's, a, that's a lot of animals. Yeah, that's the, yeah there's days I'd have more coon than mink. And, so when you're looking at these locations, it's it. So you're, it, it didn't seem like on the video that you were targeting the ponds at all, or sloughs, or, or as you, I guess you're calling them. It was pretty much on the the creek or ditches. Yeah, there's more running water there. It's going to stay open longer, and uh, the sometimes the sloughs and the ponds are a little bit harder to set. I mean, you can set them, but if you got a nice bank, uh, that that's usually the easiest thing to to put a pocket in. And you don't have a lot of rock up there, I'm assuming. To no, it's really, rocks. we're really fortunate. I mean, we, we can generally, the drain ditches are usually just nice mud banks, and some of you can almost kick a, a pocket with your foot. Uh, we got some clay, that's where I kind of learned to, you don't have to dig a deep pocket. That kind of uh, bluish clay that sticks to your spade. And I ran into that now. <laughs> that was nasty. Yeah, you, it's hard to dig that stuff, so I basically just dug enough to get a chunk of fish in there and put the trap down. Well, my experience with that stuff wasn't so much the hole, it was getting my T-bar back out of it. You'd almost, like, bust a vertebrae Yeah. suction. Yeah, yeah, I learned there you don't have to put that T-bar in very far. And uh, I, I'd actually use the side of the tile spade and just pounded it down into the clay a little ways. And usually it was up out of the water because you couldn't get in very far. I'd just drape some grass or something over it to break it up so other people uh, wouldn't see it as easy. And in your in your system, you relied on a drowner from memory, correct? It's been well, a lot of times since I've seen that. Yeah, I mean, I, I use some drowners where there's a lot of raccoons, but a lot of times it would just be a a little bit of a longer chain on a T-bar. Okay, so, okay. And really the mink, I mean, if you're in the water, the mink are going to generally be dead, almost every one of them, unless they're fresh caught. But uh, the raccoons aren't going to always drown. If you can keep them in the water, they'll generally be dead. But you get those warm nights and... Uh, they aren't all going to drone. So. And were you running a 24-hour check or? A, Usually a two-day check. Two-day check. Yeah. So you're running two separate lines. To yeah. Do that? Okay. Okay. That's pretty cool. And if you were going to target raccoons, would you do exactly the same, or would you switch something up? Oh, I'd definitely use more drowners. I mean, I use quite a few drowners just to to stay legal. But uh, I guess if I was targeting raccoons, you can generally pick out the raccoon spots. I mean, with mink, you can go on one ditch and then drive another mile to the, to the next crossing, and they'll be about the same. But whereas raccoons, you might catch one raccoon in, in the first crossing, the next one you might catch ten just because there's den trees there or, or you know, some, some denning areas in Old Grove or Barn. So raccoons, you can you know, pick out where the raccoons are a lot easier. Where the good numbers of coon are now where you're at is there is it as open as where red is at or is there more timber there it's probably more open uh, probably less timber than red it's pretty much the prairie there's some timber along the the bigger rivers but it's it's farmed pretty heavy a lot of row crops you know soybeans and corn 
Okay. So the the raccoons like a lot so of the, the trees area. are even more important then because yeah. there's not as many. Yeah, a lot of the raccoons live in, in you know dry culverts and stuff along the ditches and in farm groves and you know hay bales stuff like that. And they live in the cottonwoods and stuff too along along the rivers where there's some some trees. But they're pretty adaptable to. I mean, they'll live in a farm grove and go in the barn and eat you know livestock feed or dog food or mm -hmm. whatever. And, the farmer will think you're nuts if you tell them there's raccoons in their grove and you know, there's a nice trail coming out of there down to the water. So if you were if you were going to just target rats, would you change something? Well, muskrats, I mean, you'd almost want to be on a marsh with, with, with muskrat piles if you want to maximize your, your muskrat catch. Talking about huts. Yeah, huts or piles, whatever you want to call them. And, and we have so few muskrats now in, 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 the, in the creeks and streams you'd starve just trying to target muskrats. <laughs> Have you ever just went out and targeted rats? Yeah, right out of college I trapped some sloughs different times and and during college and you could catch, you know, six, seven, eight hundred in, you know, week to ten days. You know, when you get to the, the, the houses right next to each other, you just set the, you know, the, the slides where they're crawling up on the house and and uh, stake it down and it's real easy set and very effective. Now were you using any lure of any kind to do that or is it all blind sets? Then? Mostly blind sets on the houses. I mean I'd use a little bit of lure but it's really hard to tell how much it helped. I guess what I did is just got some uh, spearmint and dumped it in a pail with a bunch of q-tips and mixed it up and just throw some q-tips up on the pile up above the trap. But those muskrats that time either crawling up that house every night already See, we, so. we, we don't have those piles or houses or uh, first time I saw those, I was driving through South Dakota in the pothole country and I actually stopped on the interstate, first one I ever saw. And, but you're, you know, then I've trapped later in Michigan with a guy and as far as like underground runs and the holes in the, you know, their, their houses, he didn't mess with them at all. Did you just sit on top? Yeah, I mean, once it freezes up, you can run conibears under the ice, you know, if you can see the bubble trails, and and you can trap in the houses in Minnesota, too, and the feed, feeder piles. And I've done some of that over the years, too. But uh, it's the same thing. I mean, open water is when you can catch them the fastest. Now, once it started freezing, though, Gerald, did you... Have you ever just stayed after them once the shelf ice really got bad, or did, uh, on did the you, on the mink or or anything up there? Oh yeah, I mean you learn early. On. I mean there's years where you have to break ice to set your traps on, on opening day in, in Minnesota, but you kind of learn how to work with the weather. I mean it's going to do what it wants to do, and you have to kind of you know, set the the sunny bank, you know the north banks and stuff where you get the sun angle, and you kind of learn over the years which spots are going to stay open where the current's going to help you out a little bit and. As it gets colder, you can put that trap deeper in the pocket, and it, the the soil temperature is going to keep that pocket open a little bit. Okay. And one thing I've learned too is, uh, I think like the mink and raccoons will move early in the evening. So if you can get out during the day and bust all your your pockets open and just keep them open for a little bit into the night, you're still going to you know do pretty well. Have, have you have you ever really tried to get out of the water and trap any of that stuff? I've played around with. A little bit, but I, I mean, over the years, I used to trap some fox. We had a, our season would open before the the water season, and I've only caught two or three mink over the years in, in fox dirt holes up on those drainage ditches. And it seems like in the fall they're just down in the water. Okay. And I, I mean, you can catch a few in one tens if if you got 
you know, a nice grass tunnel where they're really funneled through. But uh, it just seems, I play around that bottom edge set and it really kills the muskrats, but it seems like you can just dig a pocket too and catch the mink when. One of the funniest things, I may have mentioned this on the show before, I got so tickled. When I went to the trapping college, Kermit Stearns was one of our instructors. And he was really up in age at that time. But he was, his brain was still clicking, you know, like he was young. Sure. And he showed us how he kept, caught all those mink in Pennsylvania and places he's been. Pocket set, imagine that. And he, he, he used a little drag on a little trap and he dug this hole and he always kept it out of the water because I'm sure the mountain streams, they flood like they do on mine. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And he put his, he, he put his uh, fish or muskrat on a stick, stuck it in the back. And all the students there watched him, you know, and, okay, now what really did you do? <laughs> you know, that, that that can't be it. So what if we do, I've seen this tunnel set. What if we dig down and Kermit was just kind of smiling and his eyes were always twinkling. No, you don't need to do all that. What if we move this trap over here to the side and we do, no, we really don't need to do that. And this went on for a long time. And he was like, finally, he just kind of was like, guys, don't overcomplicate this thing. And this, you just, you know, that's what I do to catch them, and that's what a lot of other guys do to catch them. You know, don't don't work at this anymore. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, that's what people tend to make things more complicated, and and really, you look at any situation, even like a factory situation. I mean, people analyze the factory, the assembly line, to, to eliminate any unnecessary steps to just to streamline things. And I kind of did the same thing with with these pockets. I mean, there's nothing I do that. I don't feel benefits me and if it's not going to benefit me I'm not going to do it I mean some guys will slick the bank up and you know with their with their hand and, and their gauntlet you know and just slick it up and I just don't see the benefit to doing that so I, I don't do it I just dig the pocket and put the bait in and put the trap down and go and uh, you just if you can keep you know a real simple set and just set a lot of locations you're just gonna get the maximum exposure to to the maximum amount of animals and it just comes down to how fast and keep punching these sets in and keep moving because i mean for someone for someone to do what you did i mean you i'm sure you were leaving way before daylight oh yeah and you were pushing all day long but probably at a very i'm just guessing here but at a very steady quick pace but not in a frantic pace yeah that's exactly true i mean you you start running around and you know, you're going to hurt yourself if you try to go too fast. I mean, you're going down ditches and, you know, there's holes in the bank and, and this and that. So you, you, you want to not make any wasted motions and just keep moving all day. I mean, obviously, you're not going to go into town and eat lunch for a couple hours or anything. You're just eating your pickup. And, but, you you know, you, you pull over to the side of the road. You try to have your sets the same side you're pulling over on. And you try to have the sets as close to the vehicle as possible so you're not walking way back. Now, how did you handle that much fur? I had a walk-in freezer, I guess, so we'd just, and, and a, I probably had eight or nine chest freezers, so I just threw most of the stuff in the freezer, and we'd just skin it later when, when we got froze out. Is that pretty common, that far up north? You just trap early till it gets really bad, then you start getting into the fur handling part? Yeah, it, it seems to be. I mean, with our business, I've never really uh, finished my fur completely. We generally just skin it and sell it green, and... It's quite common that the Minnesota buyers or Midwest buyers, they, they they like to buy fur green and just finish it themselves and they get the stretch that they want and everything. So it's, 
it's quite common for fur to be sold that way and you don't really get docked a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish there were some buyers in Tennessee to buy much <laughs> yeah. of it green. Have you ever played with a beaver or otter or any other type of animals like that? Yeah, I've trapped spring beaver in Minnesota. Uh, we got the Minnesota River pretty close to us. It's a real poor quality beaver, kind of a reddish brown. And it seems, as you well know, the I guess to be a beaver trapper, you got to be an eternal optimist. <laughs> and it just seems like uh, the promises here and the prices never seem to seem to happen. So, I mean, I've caught you know 80, 90 beaver in the spring, just uh, you know going out and you know, on the river and trapping them on slides and stuff. And now the last few years, I, I guess I've with our business and my daughter's been coming along. We've just been going out after school and. And before I was trapping hard, I wouldn't even bother with a beaver trap. I mean, I was so focused on the pockets and and uh, just trying to get those sets in. But now if we see beaver run or something, we'll drag a 330 along, and it's not such a hectic pace. And mm-hmm. we'll throw some dirt holes in for coyotes and stuff like that. Now, so. now here's an odd question for you. Do you enjoy your now style of trapping more than you did when you were really pushing it? Or do you did you just enjoy the pushing part to exhaustion more? You enjoy the, 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 both of them, I guess. They're different, though. I mean, you have to if you're gonna slow down and trap with a kid, you got to really get out of the mindset to, to hurry, 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 because you can't rush a kid. And so basically, what we did then is I've had a bunch of permissions that I've had since I was a kid, and we just walked down those permissions. And if we seen the farmer, he'd visit with us or whatever, and we'd walk a little bit to put the coon sets in and everything where in the past I just basically road trapped, you know, which is legal in Minnesota. But uh, the thing with the, the long line trapping where you're trying to make a big catch, it's just, uh, you, you just trap hard every day and I think the satisfaction comes at the end of the season when you got a nice catch. Once it's over. Once it's over, yeah. <laughs> when you're doing it, you're just trying to, you know, keep everything together and keep all your traps checked and keep putting new sets out and you don't really have a whole lot of time to to think about the numbers now were you using chest waders or hip waders when you were in the water that much i've always used chest waders i could never stay dry in hip boots so you just drove with them on yeah yeah i'd, I'd wear them all day brandon johnson does that and it just it just fascinates me yeah. maybe because i'm too fat i don't know but <laughs> there's no way i could wear chest waders and drive around in them yeah it's uh you get those warm days in the fall, they get pretty warm, but uh, uh, you get kind of wet and clammy just from sweating and stuff. But I'd never stay dry in, in uh, hip boots, I guess. What have you, if, if someone was, say someone really is just fascinated with mink and they really want to, to go out and do that, where would you guide a younger new trapper to go I mean what, what what would you what would your recommendations be well I just I guess tell them we'll, you know find out in their area who's the, the good trappers and just find out what kind of sets they're using and you know, maybe buy a couple books or DVDs or go to a demo at a convention and just kind of, of you know none of the stuff uh, is new to anybody I mean I'm just doing what people have done long before I was born so like anything else you just find out who's good at something and, and just go try to find out how they're doing it and, and, and copy them and and then once you start having some success you'll make some modifications and kind of have your own own basic system but you can go on the internet I guess and uh, talk to people too but 
I guess, my advice on the internet, on the chat rooms and the bulletin boards, you, anybody can say anything, basically, as you well know. And people sometimes, I mean, some the advice is worth uh, exactly sometimes. what you pay for. Yeah, exactly. It'll, <laughs> I've seen some stuff that, I mean, that would just really screw you up if you did it. But it's just like, like anything else, uh, the more you do something, the better you get at it. And basically just go out and do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, you can talk about it all you want, but at some point you just have to go out and do it and make adjustments to what you're doing and, and look and see what's working and what's not working. You know, there's a lot of people that are going to do this and that, and it's easy to talk about doing something, but just like, you know yourself, I mean, no one's going to hold your hand, you just got to go out and do it, and, you know, you've done a lot of the predator control and stuff, and if you're like anybody else that's successful, you've gone and done it, and sometimes things don't work out, and you look at what's going wrong and why and make adjustments. Well, I, I can, like, this year, we, we've had such a long run in Texas, I mean, 100 cats, 130 cats, you know, 100 cats, 170 cats, and we're 40. Uh-huh. And, and no matter what we did, and, and that, but that's just trapping. I mean, yeah. you, you know, there's no reason to be, if you if something squirrely happens, to be ashamed of it, or that's just trapping. I mean, it happens to everybody. And um, I, th I think, you know, I used to, when I was younger, and, and, you know, you're older than I am, but, you know, back when I was just getting started, I was so numbers focused because, for me, if I didn't catch stuff, I was going to go hungry. So it was kind of forced for me to, to be that way. Sure. But, you know, as, as I get older, every now and then, it is fun to go trapping like what you're talking about. Yeah, you bet. You know, it's, uh, I'm amazed because I'm not around, I don't have kids, so I'm not really around that many of them. And, and Travis helps me with the, the lure. I can, I mean, you can really see this fire growing under him, and you go out and, I mean, it's really cool. Yeah. You know, just to just see what their brain thinks and, and and try to guide them around. It's 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 been really good. So, so what, what's what's in your plans for the future? I mean, oh, we're gonna do the supply business yet for for a while, and still, I guess, trap as much as I can. But it's very true what you said with the kids. It's kind of Kind of like you're re-experiencing, you know, when you make your first catch of, of a particular animal. And, you know, when you catch your first mink or bobcat or coyote or whatever, you really, you think you're in, on the top of the world. And it's really hard to get that feeling back once you become a good trapper. Because mm -hmm. it gets almost to be routine. And and uh, you wish you could have that magic back, but it's it's kind of gone. So when you take your, your kid out, you kind of see them have the same feelings when... You know, see a, their first coyote bouncing around or mank or beaver or whatever. So that's what what's really neat about that. Well, the, you know, one of the things that, that I think's really kept me focused on trapping all these years, because like you're saying, after, after so much stuff, you're just kind of like, okay, it's an, believe it or not, even bobcats, after a while, it's, okay, it's another cat, it's another cat, it's sure. another cat. And these poor guys in these states with two cat limits would hear that and they just cringe, you know, but... To me, the, the thing that's always kept me really clicking is trying new things like uh, like the portable pocket or you know, for the last three or four years, I've been having a blast, since you're the mink guy, I've, I've been having a blast with cage traps on mink. And I've learned more ways not to do it okay. <laughs> than, than anything else. But when you have success, I mean, it's really cool and like... 
a big harebrained scheme I've come up with about five years ago, and I still ain't got it down pat, but I'm like a little kid trying to figure this out. We're catching um, beaver and otter in great big colony traps. Okay. You know, find, figuring out how to use them here and use them there, and there again, I can tell you all kind of ways they don't work. Sure. But when it does work, even though I may have caught 60 otter up to that point of the year, that one otter means more to me than all those other ones. Yeah. It's just, to me, it's just really cool. Yeah, and really, I mean, we've tried different things with mink, you know, that, that don't work, too. And and what people don't realize, if they look at a guy that does catch a lot of stuff, I mean, they're still looking at a lot of empty traps. And a lot of what it is, they're just out there longer and, and, and trapping more. So sometimes guys feel bad that they don't catch as much, and they shouldn't. I mean, if they're out there trapping, whatever they catch, they should be proud of. You know, not everybody can be out there all day long. Well, and that's true. And even, you know, like using cats, for example... We've had days of 14, 18 bobcats. At the same time, we're running 200 foot holes and have 400 snares out. So look at all the empty stuff we did. Percentage-wise, it's really bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, when you look at it from the big picture, like how many traps were you running on your mink? Oh, I'd run usually 150 to 200 a day. And you'd have days anywhere from 20 to 40 plus mink and same amount of coon and some rats. So you're looking at some empty traps. and About 100. Well, and that's on a two-day yeah. check, so really you yeah. can bump that twice. Yeah. And then, of course, things go wrong. I mean, you get, get some rain or, or, or a freeze. You, you bust all your traps out, and it gets cold again. and So it, it all averages out, but uh, you can't get too cocky. I mean, the weather will, will straighten you out in a hurry. You know, you just uh, you learn that you can't fight the weather. You just well, got to deal with it best you can. I don't know of too many older cocky trappers, and I think there's a reason <laughs> for that. <laughs> That's 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 for that's a younger person's game there. Yeah, really, you just go out and and uh, you know work as hard as you can and do the best you can and you catch what you catch. You know, some days are going to be good, some not so good, and that's just just like anything else. If you have a regular job, some days everything goes good, some days things don't go good. So it's it's just like any anything else. You know, the harder you work at, the longer you do it, the, the better you're going to get at it. Well, I don't know how you can end the show better than that. Okay. <laughs> so, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, Clint, for having me on, and uh, it was fun talking to you.